Coming up after the news, philosophy talk. We want information. 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 Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> Autonomy, the condition or quality of being self-governed. Self-governed? We're governed by our genes, by culture, by education. Can you really have free will when you're just the product of parents, mores, environment, and the like? Autonomy, illusion or reality? with our guest John Christman from Penn State University. Coming up after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Our topic today is autonomy. We're going to tackle this quest, this issue in several parts. First, we're going to ask, what is autonomy? What do we mean by autonomy? Then we'll ask, well, is autonomy really possible? And finally, we'll ask, if it is possible, is it a good thing? So, John, you're an expert at meaning. What, what do we mean by the concept of autonomy? Well, autonomy is a word that we hear a lot in everyday life, but not quite in the way philosophers tend to use it. We hear about autonomous regions of Spain, for example, the Basque Country, uh, autonomous Quebec is an autonomous, semi-autonomous region of Canada. That means that these regions are allowed to make up their own laws to a greater extent than, than you might have expected. But when we t talk about people, we have in mind, oh, well, people often refer to Frank Sinatra's great, great song, I Did It My Way. People who make up their own rules, or at least decide on their own which rules to follow, which things are important to them, what their life's going to be like. That's an autonomous person, and a lot of philosophers thinking, uh, think it's an important and an interesting virtue for people to have. Yeah, making up your own rules, li li living by your own lights. You know, you could, it's important that you and I could live by the same set of rules, right? I, I could uh, not cheat, not steal, respect others, and you could do the same, but I could do it non-autonomously because, I don't know, I'm just a conformist, or my parents told me, and I just gave in to what my parents said. And you, you're the autonomous person. You just gave yourself these rules and, and, and principles to live by. Very, very perceptive of you, Ken. But, uh, you know, you wonder whether really, really anyone is really autonomous. I mean, it's true my, my folks were Republicans and I've tended to be a Democrat. But is that because I just was autonomous or just reactive so given the influence of genes and mores and peer pressure and culture, are we really autonomous? That's what philosophers tend to worry about. A lot of philosophers do worry about that. I mean, you can take a lot of examples of people who aren't autonomous, like uh, drug addicts, right? They think they have this overwhelming desire for the drug, and maybe they're deluded in thinking that they choose the drug, but actually it's the drug kind of controlling and not themselves controlling. And your example, your reactive example, teenagers often think that you know, in rejecting their parents' mores and, and values, they're governing themselves. But you look at them more closely, and really what they're doing is being governed by their peers. So you're right. Maybe there aren't any autonomous people there. We have this illusion of autonomy, but... 
Maybe well, not. you know, it, it's often in philosophy we get this kind of uh, situation. You take a word like free, and on the one hand you have arguments that no one is really free because of determinism and uh, past circumstances and so forth. And yet, on the other hand, uh, we make a distinction that's perfectly plausible. And similarly with autonomy, I mean, maybe nobody's completely self-governing, but certainly there's a contrast between the drug addict or the person who's just following out the life plan their parents charted for them. And, and a lot of people we see who we really would say, like Frank Sinatra, they're doing it their own way. Right. And there certainly are people like that who, we, who seem to us to be doing it their own way. And our roving philosophical reporter, Polly Stryker, found such a person. She files this report. If you could be really autonomous and blaze your own trail, maybe you'd sail around the world or become an archaeologist. Paul Skakowski was a top physicist at the Lawrence Livermore Lab. It was a very interesting environment. I mean, we, we worked with, always with the latest tools, and it, we were doing cutting-edge work. It was the most powerful laser. We had the most powerful computers in the world. He gave it all up to follow his muse and become a philosopher. My main research now is in philosophy of mind and cognitive science. So I'm very interested in how, well, what the mind is. And I'm particularly interested in what neuroscientists can tell us about the brain and how the brain achieves cognition. And also the relationship of the brain to the mind and to consciousness. Skakowski left his job as director of the Institute for Scientific Computing Research at Lawrence Livermore. He pursued philosophy at the Center for the Study of Language and Information at Stanford before taking a year off to make some decisions. It was an opportunity for me to finally do something in an unrestricted way uh, for the first time, really, in my life. So uh, I was doing interesting physics at the lab, no question. But I think that my real passion was in philosophy. Skakowski stays in touch with his colleagues at Lawrence Livermore. What do they think of him leaving to pursue philosophy? I guess that they do scratch their heads a bit. Many of them are pretty practical um, scientific types. Philosophers are sort of unique in that respect. A lot of people think that we're odd, and, and I think that uh, they're probably correct. Philosophy's probably not what Skakowski's father would have chosen for him. In fact, physics wasn't either. Well, my father was a physicist, and he told me not to go into physics because I'd never make any money. And uh, he advised me to be a lawyer. <laughs> so I guess I disappointed him by going and studying physics and philosophy, which are probably the two hardest disciplines to actually get work in once you finish. And I put them both together. Well, Skakowski teaches philosophy at both UC Berkeley and at Stanford. He jokes that the decisions he made helped him discover the meaning of life. In fact, there's a link to it on his website. My meaning of life link uh, goes to a picture of a baseball, a Little League baseball team that I uh, was a coach on a couple of years ago. And they ended up having an undefeated season. The year before, they only won one game. So, you know, you only get one chance perhaps in your life if you're lucky enough to ever be undefeated. These kids will never have another season like that. And they probably won't even remember this one. But the coaches remember it, and we had a lot of fun. For me, if there is a meaning of life, it's the smiles on those kids' faces. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Polly Stryker. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.